0: chapter eleven part two of the black box by e phillips oppenheim this librivox recording is in the public domain the ship of horror part two he hurried off to his stateroom the doctor was poring over a volume of tabulated poisons quest was still watching his tubes lenora sat upon the couch suddenly The Professor reappeared. He was carrying a small notebook in his hand. His manner betrayed some excitement. He closed the door carefully behind him. "'I want you all,' he begged, "'to listen very carefully to me. You'll discover the application of what I am going to read when I am finished. Now, if you please.' They looked at him wonderingly. It was evident that the Professor was very much in earnest he held the book a little way away from him and read slowly and distinctly this he began is the diary of a tour made by craig and myself in northern egypt some 14 years ago here is the first entry of import monday 29 miles southeast of port said we have stayed for two days at a little mongar village I have today come to the definite conclusion that anthropoid apes were at one time denizens of this country. Tuesday. Both Craig and I have been a little uneasy today. These Mongars, in whose encampment we have found our way, are one of the strangest and fiercest of the nomad tribes. They are descended without a doubt from the ancient Mongolians who invaded this country some seven hundred years before christ they have interbred with the arabs to some extent but have preserved in a marvellous way their individuality as a race they have the narrow eyes and the thick nose base of the pure oriental also much of his cunning one of their special weaknesses seems to be the invention of the most hideous forms of torture which they apply remorselessly to their enemies. "'Pleasant sort of people,' Quest muttered. "'We escaped with our lives,' the professor explained earnestly. "'From these people, only on account of an incident which you will find in the next paragraph.'" "'Wednesday. This has been a wonderful day for, as chiefly owing to what I must place on record as an act of great bravery, by Craig, my servant. Early this morning, a man-eating lion found his way into the encampment. The Mongars behaved like arrant cowards. They fled right and left, leaving the chief's little daughter, Freda, at the brute's mercy. Craig, who's by no means an adept in the use of firearms, chased the animal as he was making off with the child. And more by good luck than anything else, managed to wound it mortally he brought the child back to the encampment just as the chief and the warriors of the tribe returned from a hunting expedition our position here is now absolutely secure we are treated like gods and appreciating my weakness for all matters of science the chief has today explained to me many of the secret mysteries of the tribe amongst other things has shown me a wonderful secret poison known only to this tribe which they call the demzu it brings almost instant death and is exceedingly difficult to trace the addition of sugar causes a curious condensation and resolves it almost to a white paste the only antidote is a substance which they use here freely and which is exactly equivalent to our camphor The professor closed his book. Quest promptly rang the bell. Some sugar, he ordered, turning to the steward. They waited in absolute silence. The suggestion, which the professor's disclosure, had brought to them was stupefying. Even Quest's fingers, as a moment or two later, he rubbed two knobs of sugar together, so that the particles should fall into the tubes of bullion, shook. The result was magical. The bullion turned to a strange shade of grey and began slowly to thicken. It is the Mongar poison, the Professor cried with breaking voice. They all looked at one another. Craig must be here amongst us, Quest muttered. And the bullion, Lenora cried, clasping Quest's arm. The bullion was meant for you. There seems to be somehow amongst all of them a curious indisposition to discuss this matter suddenly lenora who was sitting on the lounge underneath the porthole put out her hand and picked up a card which was lying by her side she glanced at it at first curiously then she shrieked a message she cried a message from the hands look they crowded around her in that same familiar handwriting was scrawled across the face of the card these few words to Sanford Quest, you have escaped this time by a chance of fortune, not because your wits are keen, not because of your own shrewdness, simply because fate willed it. It will not be for long. Underneath was the drawing of the clenched hands. There is no longer any doubt. Lenora said calmly, Craig is on board. He must have been on deck a few minutes ago. It was his hand which placed his card in the porthole. Listen, what's that? There was a scream from the deck. They all recognized Laura's voice. Harris was out of the stateroom first, but they were all on deck within ten seconds. Laura was standing with one hand clasping the rail, her hand fiercely outstretched toward the lower part of the promenade deck through the darkness they heard the sound of angry voices. "'What is it, Laura?' Lenora cried. She swung round upon them. "'Craig!' she cried. "'Craig!' I saw his face as I sat in my chair there, talking to the captain. I saw a man's white face, nothing else. He must have been leaning over the rail. He heard me call out, and he disappeared. The captain came slowly out of the shadows, limping a little, "'followed by his steward, who was murmuring profuse apologies. "'Did you find him?' Laura demanded eagerly. "'I did not,' the captain replied a little tersely. "'I ran into Brown here, and we both had a shake-up.' "'But he was there a second ago,' Laura cried out. "'I beg your pardon, Miss,' Brown ventured. "'But the decks closed at the end, as you can see, with sailcloth and I was leaning over the rail myself when you shrieked. There wasn't anyone else near me, and no one can possibly have passed round the deck as you can plainly see for yourself. Laura stood quite still. "'What doors are there on the side?' she asked. "'The doors of my room only,' the captain replied a little shortly. "'It was Brown you saw, of course. He was standing exactly where you thought you saw Craig.' "'Laura walked to the end of the deck and back. "'Very well, then,' she said. "'You people had better get a straight waistcoat ready for me. "'If I didn't see Craig there, I'm going off my head.' "'Quest had disappeared some seconds ago. "'He came thoughtfully back a little later. "'Captain,' he asked, "'what shall you say if I tell you "'that I have proof that Craig is on board?' "'The captain glanced at Laura and restrained himself i should probably say a great many things which i should regret afterwards he replied grimly sit down and we'll tell you what has happened in my room quest continued he told the story calmly and without remark the captain held his head of course i'm convinced that i'm a sane man he said but this sounds more like a Mew chosen story than anything I've ever heard. I suppose you people are all real. You are in earnest about this, aren't you? It isn't a gigantic joke. We are in deadly earnest, the professor pronounced gravely. I have been down to the pantry, Quest went on. The porthole has been open all day. It was just possible for a man to have reached the cups of bullion as they were prepared that isn't the point however craig is cunning and clever enough for any devilish scheme on earth and that card proves that he is on board the ship shall be searched the captain declared once more we'll look into every crack in every cupboard lenora turned away with a little shiver it was one of her rare moments of weakness you won't find him You won't ever find him, she murmured, and I'm afraid. Lenora grasped the rails of the steamer and glanced downwards at the great barge full of Arab sailors and merchandise. In the near background were the docks of Port Said. It was their first glimpse of eastern atmosphere and color. I can't tell you how happy I am, she declared the quest to think that this voyage is over. Every night I have gone to bed terrified. He smiled grimly. Things have been quiet enough the last few days, he said. There is Harris on this barge. Look at Laura waving to him. The Scotland Yard man only glanced up at them. He was occupied in leaning over towards Laura, who was on the deck below. If you said the word, he called out, "'I wouldn't be going back, Miss Laura. "'I'd stick to the ship fast enough.' She laughed at him gaily. "'Not you. "'You're longing for your smoky old Londoner ready. "'You cut it out, my friend. "'You're a good sort, "'and I hope we'll meet again some day. "'But—' She shook her head at him good-humouredly. He turned away, disappointed, and waved his hand to Lenora and Quest on the upper deck. "'Coming on shore, any of you?' he inquired. "'We may when the boat moves up,' Quest replied. "'The professor went off on the first barge. "'Here he is, coming back.' A little boat had shot out from the docks, manned by a couple of Arabs. They could see the professor seated in the stern. He was poring over a small document, which he held in his hand. He waved to them excitedly. ''He's got news,'' Quest muttered. With much shouting, the boat was brought to the side of the barge. The professor was hauled up. He stumbled blindly across towards the gangway and came up the steps with amazing speed. He came straight to Quest and Lenora and gripped the former by the arm. ''Look,'' he cried, ''look.'' He held out a card. Quest read it aloud. "'There is not one amongst you "'with the wit of a mongard child. Goodbye. "'The hands.' "'Where did you get it?' Quest demanded. "'That's the point, the whole point,' "'the professor exclaimed excitedly. "'He's done us. He's landed. "'The paper was pushed into my hand "'by a tall Arab "'who mumbled something "'and hurried off across the docks. "'On the landing stage, mind.' "'The captain came.' and put his head out of the door. ''Mr. Quest,'' he said, ''can you spare me a moment? You can all come, if you like.'' They had moved up towards him. The captain closed the door of his cabin. He pointed to a carpet-sweeper, which lay against the wall. ''Look at that,'' he invited. They lifted the top. Inside were several sandwiches and a small can of tea. "'What on earth is this?' Quest demanded. The captain, without a word, led them into his inner room. A huge lounge stood in one corner. He lifted the valance. Underneath were some crumbs. "'You see,' he pointed out, "'there's room there for a man to have hidden, "'especially if he could crawl out on deck at night. "'I couldn't make out why the Dickens Brown "'was always sweeping out my room.' "'and I took up this thing a little time ago and looked at it. "'This is what I found.' "'Where's Brown?' Quest asked quickly. "'I rang down for the chief steward,' the captain continued, "'and ordered Brown to be sent up at once. "'The chief steward came himself instead. "'It seems Brown went off without his wages, "'but with a huge parcel of bedding on the first bars this morning, "'before anyone was about.' quest groaned as he turned away captain he declared i'm ashamed he has been here all the time and we have let him slip through our fingers girls he went on briskly turning towards laura who had just come up india's off we'll catch this barge if there's time our luggage can be put on shore when the boat docks the captain walked gloomily with them to the gangway i shall miss you all he told laura she laughed in his face if you ask me i think you'll be glad to be rid of us not of you miss laura he insisted she made a little grimace you're as bad as mr harris she declared we'll come for another trip with you some day they left him leading disconsolately over the rails the professor and quest sat side by side on one of the trunks which was piled upon the barge. "'Professor,' Quest asked. "'How long would it take us to get to this mongard village you spoke about?' Two or three days, if we can get camels,' the other replied. "'I see you agree with me, then, as to Craig's probable destination.' Quest nodded. "'What sort of fellows are they, anyway?' he asked. "'Will it be safe for us to push on alone?' "'With me,' the professor assured him. "'You will be safe anywhere. "'I speak a little of their language. "'I have lived with them. "'They are far more civilized than some of the interior tribes.' "'We'll find a comfortable hotel where we can leave the girls,' Quest began. "'You can cut that out,' Laura interrupted. "'I don't know about the kid here, "'but if you think I'm going to miss a camel ride across the desert,' "'You are dead wrong, so that's all there is to it.' "'Quest glanced toward Lenora. "'She leaned over and took his arm. "'I simply couldn't be left behind,' she pleaded. "'I've had quite enough of that. "'The journey will not be an unpleasant one,' the professor declared amiably, "'and riding on a camel is an accomplishment easily acquired. "'So far as I'm aware, too, the district which we will have to traverse is entirely peaceable they disembarked and were driven to the hotel still discussing their project afterwards they all wandered into the bazaars along the narrow streets where dusky children pulled at their clothes and ran by their side and where every now and then a brown-skinned arab on a slow-moving camel made his way through the throngs of veiled turkish women syrians arabs and egyptians laura and lenora at any rate attracted by the curious novelty of the scene forgot the heat the street smells and the filthy clothes of the medicants and loafers who pressed against them they bought strange jewelry shawls beads and perfumes the professor disappeared for some time but rejoined them later "'It's all arranged,' he announced. "'I've found a dragon-man, whom I know. "'We shall have four of the best camels and a small escort ready to start tomorrow morning. "'Furthermore, I have news. "'An Englishman whose description precisely tallies with Craig's "'started off only an hour ago in the same direction. "'This time, at any rate, Craig cannot escape us.'" he might go on past the mongar camp, Quest suggested. The professor shook his head. The mongar village, he explained, is placed practically at a cul-de-sac so far as regards further progress southward without making a detour. It is flanked by a strip of jungle and desert on either side, in which there are no wells for many miles. We shall find Craig with the mongars. They made their way back to the hotel, dined in a cool bare room, and sauntered again out into the streets. The professor led the way to a little building outside which a man was volubly inviting all to enter. "'You shall see one of the sights of Port Said,' he promised. "'This is a real Egyptian dancing girl.' They took their seats in the front row of a dimly lit, bare-looking room the stage was dark and empty. From some unseen place came the monotonous rhythm of a single instrument. They waited for some time in vain. At last, one or two lights in front were lit. The music grew more insistent. A girl, who seemed to be dressed in little more than a winding veil, glided out onto the stage, swaying and moving slowly, to the rhythm of the monotonous music. She danced a measure which none of them, except the professor, had ever seen before. Coming now and then so close that they could almost feel her hot breath, and Lenora felt somehow vaguely disturbed by the glitter of her eyes, an odd perfume was shaken into the air around them from one of her flowing garments, through which her limbs, Continually flashed. Lenora looked away. I don't like it, she said to Quest simply. Suddenly, Laura leaned forward. Look at the professor, she whispered. They all turned their heads. A queer change seemed to have come into the professor's face. His teeth were gleaming between his parted lips. His head was a little thrust forward. His eyes were filled with a strange, hard light. He was a transformed being, unrecognizable, perturbing. Even while they watched, the girl floated close to where he sat and leaned towards him with a queer, mocking smile. His hand suddenly descended upon her foot. She laughed still more. There was a little exclamation from Lenora. The professor, whose frame quivered, snatched the anklet from the girl's ankle and bent over it. She leaned towards him, a torrent of words streaming from her lips. The professor answered her in her own language. She listened to him in amazement. The anger passed. She held out both her hands. The professor still argued. She shook her head. Finally, he placed some gold in her palms. She patted him on the cheek, laughed into his eyes, pointed behind, and resumed her dancing. The anklet remained in the professor's hand. "'Say, we'll get out of this,' Quest said. "'The girls have had enough.' The professor made no objection. He led the way, holding the anklet all the time close to his eyes and turning it round. They, none of them, spoke to him. Yet they were all conscious of an immense sense of relief when, after they had passed into the street, he commenced to talk in his natural voice. Congratulate me, he said. I have been a collector of Assyrian gold ornaments all my life. This is the one anklet I needed to complete my collection. It has the double mark of the pharaohs. I recognized it at once. There are a thousand like it, you would think, in the bazaars there. In reality, There may be, perhaps, a dozen more in all Egypt which are genuine. They all looked at one another. Their relief had grown too poignant for words. Early start tomorrow, Quest reminded them. Home in bed for me this moment, Laura declared. The camels, the professor assented, will be round at daybreak. Lenora, a few nights later, looked down from the star-strewn sky which seemed suddenly to have dropped so much nearer to them. To the shadows thrown across the desert by the dancing flames of their fire. It is the same world, I suppose, she murmured. A queer little place out of the same world, Quest agreed. Listen to those fellows, how they chatter. The camel-drivers and guides were sitting together in a little group some distance away. They had finished their supper, and were chattering together now, swaying back and forth, two of them at least in a state of wild excitement. "'Whatever can they be talking about?' Laura asked. "'They sound as though they were going to fight every second. The professor smiled. "'The last one was talking about the beauty of his fat lady friend,' he remarked dryly. "'Just before they were discussing whether they would be given any backsheesh,' In addition to their pay, we're quite off the ordinary routes here, and these fellows aren't much used to Europeans. Laura rose to her feet, "I'm going to get a drink," she announced the dragon man who had been hovering around, bowed gravely and pointed toward the water bottles. Lenora also rose. "I'm coming too," she decided it seems a sin to think of going to sleep though." The whole place is like a great silent sea. I suppose this isn't a dream, is it, Laura? There's no dream about my thirst, anyway, Laura declared. She took the horn cup from the dragon man. Have some yourself if you want to, Hassan, she invited. Hassan bowed gravely, filled a cup, and drank it off. He stood for a moment perfectly still, as though something were coming over him which he failed to understand. Then his lips parted. His eyes, for a moment, seemed to shoot out of his dusky skin. He threw up his arms and fell over on his side. Laura, who had only sipped her cup, threw it from her. She, too, reeled for a moment. The professor and Quest came running up, attracted by Lenora's shriek. "'They're poison!' she cried. "'The Vidimzu!' "'Quest shouted, "'My God, pull yourself together, Laura. "'Hold up for a minute.' He dashed back to their little encampment and reappeared almost immediately. He threw Laura's head back and forced some liquid down her throat. "'It's camphor,' he cried. "'You'll be all right, Laura. "'Hold on to yourself.' He swung round to where the dragon man was lying. forced his mouth open, but it was too late. The man was dead." He returned to Laura. She stumbled to her feet. She was pale, and drops of perspiration were standing on her forehead. She was able to rise to her feet, however, without assistance. "'I'm all right now,' she declared. Quest felt her pulse and her forehead. They moved back to the fire. "'We are within a dozen miles or so of the Mongar village,' Quest said grimly. "'Do you suppose that fellow could have been watching?' They all talked together for a time in low voices. The professor was inclined to scout the theory of Craig having approached them. You must remember, he pointed out, that the Mongars hate these fellows. It was part of my arrangement with Hassan that they should leave us when we got in sight of the Mongar encampment. It may have been meant for Hassan. The Mongars hate the dragon men who bring tourists in this direction at all." They talked a little while longer, and finally stole away to their tents to sleep. Outside the camel-drivers talked still, chattering away, walking now and then, around Hassan's body in solemn procession. Finally one of them, who seemed to have taken the lead, broke into an impassioned stream of words. The others listened, when he had finished. There was a low murmur of fierce approval. Silent-footed, as though shot in velvet, they ran to the tethered camels, stacked provisions once more upon their backs, lashed the guns across their own shoulders. Soon they stole away, a long ghostly procession, into the night. "'Those fellows seem to have left off their infernal chattering all of a sudden,' Quest remarked lazily, from inside the tent. The professor made no answer. He was asleep. End of chapter eleven, part two.